everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast, where we're learning how to invest like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, except for right now, where we're learning to invest like kind of people who Crazy like to trade, people. trade based on bunnies and trains in the clouds and using charting <laughs> and all this kind of stuff, which strangely is worth talking about. Why so is we're it worth talk talking about? about? It. We're going to talk about it a little more. And then we're never <laughs> going to talk about it again. <laughs> no, we'll talk about it. Because what I think actually, it's been really helpful for me to learn about this because of this fear, as you mentioned last time, of if I owned the index, which I don't, but if I did, I would be so wondering with every little blip and movement of this market, if it was the big crash or not. And I would just be... I would just be nervous about it. So I think what you've said a few times is this is not a predictive thing. This is not something to rely on. But in a, in a world where we have nothing, at least like we've got this. Yeah, I mean, crazily, it's a little bit like you've come to a, 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 a junction in the road, right? And you honestly have no idea which way to go. What... What we do is we've got to find something that helps us get over absolute paralysis. Um, And that can be just taking out a coin and flipping it and just (laughs) saying, okay, it came up heads, heads, I go left, tails, I go right. It comes up heads. And suddenly I just feel like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go left. And you go right. I mean, it's at least it's something to trigger something inside you that'll help you make a decision. When you're scared and you don't know which way to go. Yeah, that's true. All right. So let's get into it. So here we go. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to take a look at, at um, moving average and then the moving average convergence divergence. And one more thing called the stochastic. So the stochastic is known as, uh, or stochastic oscillator, as it's sometimes called, is another um, momentum indicator. And it basically says that, um, that this market can be overbought and oversold. So stochastic is looking and saying, oh, here's where more people than usual have bought into this thing, meaning it's peaking and it's very likely to have no more buyers in the future because they've all bought. Wait, sorry. Can you say all of that again? Yeah. Overbought means that historically speaking, this Wait, particular- the stochastic, sorry, the stochastic measures- Overbuying? Overbuying and overselling based on prices again. Okay. So it's, it's, all, it's all using prices over time, but using them in different ways. So in, in this case, the stochastic indicator often is structured as a 14-day, uh, 5-day, 0-day kind of an indicator. And they put on a couple of lines through it that are at the 80% and 20% positions on the movement of the stochastic. And I'm, again, not going to get all deep into this, except just to say that you can look these up on Google and get a whole education from Investopedia, and they'll, you, know, can, you can take it sort of line by line and learn about them. But in general, Danielle, this is just an indicator that shows that too much buying is going on, and historically that means it's about to roll over and go what down. What does that mean? You're overbuying and overselling. What do, what do those words mean? Well, it me, it's too a ref- much buying is happening. What does that mean? It's a reflection of sort of historical buying patterns in this particular index. Um, 
And what we know is that nothing goes up forever, right? Right. Like nothing, no price just keeps going up, 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 up. Eventually, people who owned it at the low price and now have made a lot of money at the high price are going to start taking their profits. Okay. And when they do, if there's no more buyers, because all the buyers bought, then the stock price has to go down because all there are are sellers. Does that make sense? That, that makes sense. Okay. So by looking historically at the price movements in a particular index um, through this stochastic oscillator, the, the, uh, the stochastic is saying, based on history of this, price, this, this uh, index price movement, we have had so much movement up that there aren't any buyers left. Just historically okay. looking back. Yeah, yeah. Could it, could okay. it be wrong because you're looking at a cloud? Yeah. Okay. But historically looking back, this is a place where this thing rolls over. And it calls that overbought. And it produces a signal that says that this is overbought and now it's going down. It produces a signal for that. Okay. And that signal is when the stochastic oscillator line crosses the 80% line on the stochastic. When it crosses through downward through that line, indicating prices are moving down over time in a certain speed, then this market's called overbought and you better get out. And the opposite occurs at the other end. Once it's gone way down, then there's no more sellers. And historically, people start buying this company or this stock then it starts to move upward through the 20% line. That's an indication that it's oversold and it's time to get in. So it sounds like what it actually does is compare current. I can't, I can't tell if it's prices or if it's volume. It's prices. Purchasing. Okay. Not, not so, um, so it sounds like it, com it compares today's prices or the 14 day moving average price or something like that to historical versions of, of that price in that company um, and then produces a result that is termed overbought or oversold. Yeah, and this thing, this thing can stay, um, the stochastic indicator can stay above the 80 line uh, for a long, long time. It just can stay there, um, indicating that you shouldn't take any action other than what you have. And then when it drops down below the 80 line, then it's time to exit. And when it comes up through the 20 line, eventually, then it's time to get in. But we've seen these indicators tell us to stay in the market for long, long periods of time. And I like the stochastic for that. Um, it reduces the, the in and out trading volume substantially. Um, so what I mean by that is you look at all three of these together and you set them if you're in, um, let's say, an SPY index in your 401k, and you wanted to take a look at what these were going to tell you to do, you would set the periods to, to what one month so that on your computer, you have an opportunity, usually in your brokerage account, you have an opportunity to set the periods any way you want them. And the, the time period, the time periods. So for example, I've said, that, you, sorry, you just skipped over something. The brokerage accounts tend to offer these charts. They, they all offer these charts. Yeah. They all offer these charts. Yep. Okay. So you'll, you'll go to your brokerage account. You'll look at stock charts on the SPY index. So And up will come this chart. And then there'll be some place on your account where it'll say, 
um, set up uh, a chart for indicators or you know something like that will be on on your each each one of them is different but something like that will be on your some way to adjust account. it to where you want it to be yeah for example um at thinkorswim and td ameritrade they call it studies and i think okay. at uh, at interactive brokers they call it studies as well or indicators so you look at that and find this thing called uh, let's say a, a a stochastic and it will come on um You'll click on it and say, you know, uh, you know, tell it to appear on your on your chart, and it will show up with the default um, numbers put into it. Typically, fourteen five zero on a stochastic oscillator, and that will then begin to um, put arrows on there or show you the crossovers on the stochastic on that chart, and then it's up to you to tell it what period you want and it defaults to a daily period. So you can set the periods. And what I'm saying is set the periods to monthly and slow this whole thing down because what you're looking for is just enough information to get out of the market when it starts to really crumble. Why monthly? Why not three months or six months? Um, Because when you're running three months or six month periods, your time change is so slow that the market movement will have already occurred completely by the time it indicates you should get out. It's way too slow. And if you do it on a weekly basis, it's way too fast. So for me, just playing with it, it just works out better. Looking at back testing this stuff through a lot of a lot of time periods, it works out better at a month. And interestingly, the one month periods on these tools approximate the death cross pretty well, which is done on a daily period. <laughs> okay. Isn't that interesting? So that's just, yeah, to me it is. It's like we, we have more and more of a seeing the train rather than the bunny at the same oh, time. Dear. And that oh, ultimately is dear. the point is that a lot of people are trading on this and you need to know about it. So, okay, now you get three tools. You get the moving average set on 10 periods. You get the MACD set on, it's going to default to a 26.12.9, and I change it to a, uh, a, it's actually structured as 12.26.9, and I change it to 9.17.8, and um, that just works better for me. But you, you can put it in as the defaults, and it's all good. And then you put in the stochastic at 14.50, and then look at the chart of the SPY. And what you're going to see if you've done this right, so you'll know if you did it right or not, is that you're going to see that the SPX based on a monthly uh, monthly structure here, let me let me get it right. Uh, let's get, I'm, I'm putting mine on here. You guys, this is so his opinion right now. Yeah, this is my opinion like, only. Oh my gosh. I'm struggling. So I'm not even going to get into what the heck the stochastic is measuring because apparently it's a reflection of some kind of ratio between historical prices and the current price. But I have no idea how they create some sort of mysteriously undefined historical price and then compare it to the current price. Well, they, they, so, they don't really do that, actually. It's the historical price is baked into the moving average. So it, it is historical, but it's in the moving average. So, um, you know, I do appreciate that there are mathy people out there, and I'm sure we have some of you listening. I really appreciate you for creating such 
interesting tools as this, because I think it is beautiful that people try to quantify, predict, analyze, and graphically measure what people do in an unpredictable market. I find that fascinating on a very high level. Now, I don't really want to know how these things are created, but I really appreciate you guys just for doing it and for trying to crack the code that is humans being utterly fallible and a lot of the time not having a clue why they do something. I really enjoy it. (laughs) Which is exactly what we're looking at here. But you know what? It doesn't have to be rational to work. Well, and it doesn't have to work to be fascinatingly rational. (laughs) I don't understand that one. Wait. Like, whoever created these things is definitely totally rational and probably a total genius, but that doesn't mean that they predict anything proper, you know? No, of course it doesn't. So what I'm saying is, They don't have to work for it to be still utterly rational in its own universe. Right. True. But let me just tell you something just as uh, that you can back back test and check for yourself is if you were to put this, these indicators, the way I just told you on monthly periods, and then you were to take a look at the SPY, right? The exchange traded fund for, and you looked at that starting back in 1999, when it mm-hmm. was at this huge, you know, it had been going up forever. Um, and you exited when you got the red arrows and you got in when you got the green arrows, you would have tripled the money in your account at the end of these 18 years than you would if you didn't do that. Now, why are you saying that after all of the discussion about how these are unreliable and non-predictive? Because they have a certain reliability and predictability quality (laughs) to them if used on the SPY. And I'm really hesitating to say that because don't let let me finish here because it's real important you get this, is that at least they have had that looking backward on them. And that's a huge disclaimer because... We, we often see patterns on hindsight that were impossible yeah. to see looking forward. And so there's that huge risk that while looking on backward on them, we can see that they worked wonderfully well and produced a much higher rate of return. Looking forward, they may not work at all. Well, so I'm and just saying. That's what, I, that's what I was about to suggest. What if you started in 1990? <laughs> <laughs> and saw how many arrows there were in those intervening nine years that you didn't count that maybe were completely incorrect. I have no idea. Well, you can you can find out because you can back test that. You can find out. Yeah. yeah. You can go back, look at a chart starting in 1990 and walk forward month by month, make a determination when you had three red arrows and you got out and a determination when you had three greens and you got back in. And if you did that, over the intervening 30 years, you might find that this actually turns out to be a null, null effect. Um, but I will tell you, I suspect you will not find that. It but has it been, wouldn't be, it would not be a null effect. It would be a detrimental effect because of transaction fees. Because of transaction fees, potentially it would be 
negative, even if it turned out to be the same. I think it won't turn out to be the same. I think you're going to find that you'll at least double your money over time. Because these things are really good at getting you out before a big drop. And we've had some enormous drops in that interval. Um, where these won't work very well, I think, and where you probably won't do well, is if the market is fluctuating in a narrow range for a long period of time. And then you'll find mm -hmm. yourself getting whipsawed. You get out just as it starts to go back up, and you get in just as it starts to go back down, and you keep getting whipsawed in this horrible death of a thousand cuts because the market's not going anywhere, and you're, you're paying all these prices for getting in and out. These, have, these tools, though, have done pretty good at not having that happen in the last 20 years. I will say that. I will say on that. hindsight. So on that note, I would love to quit talking about these. I feel really bad that I ever got into this subject, um, <laughs> except for those of you who want to explore this and backtest it and are looking for something when you have nothing to determine when to get out of this market. This would at least be something. It is. It is a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. All right. Then now let's move on, shall we? Let's move on. But I'm glad we talked, as I've said multiple times, I'm glad we talked about it so that we know what they are, have some general knowledge. I don't know if I'm ever going to look them up, but maybe I will. I don't know. Well, as long as you're buying individual companies, there's really no point in looking these things yeah, up. Yeah, I don't really have to do it, right? So Right. Because you're I'm making decisions go. about owning things based on the relationship between the price of the company and its story and the value of the company. And if the story changes, you're going to change your investment. If the price changes, you may change your investment. So, you know, you may add more, you may decide to sell. So you don't need these tools if you're a value investor and you are working with individual companies. These are only for those of you who are not value investors who are just doing what everybody's taught you to do and investing and holding and you're scared to death. This might help you. And on that note, <laughs> time to go play. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Invested, you guys. Do you know, by the way, that Danielle and I wrote a book together called Invested based off of this podcast. Critics are calling it the ultimate intro handbook to investing. And I know you're going to love it, too. And it just made the top 10 on the New York Times bestseller list. We're really excited. It's a really good book. It's a great read. For a free sneak peek of the book, head over to investedpodcast.com slash book. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.